or turn on your Bibles to Matthew 18. We're going to continue that sermon here. Um, so like Steve was saying, and we all know, uh, Jesus died for us on the cross. This paid for our sins, and it provided us with forgiveness. And my simple definition of forgiveness is just to be let off the hook. Um, and that's a fishing term, obviously. You catch a fish, and then you decide, instead of eating you, I'm going to let you go. Because if you catch a fish, you can eat it. It's like, you're right. Uh, but instead of doing that, you let it go. And that's what it feels like when someone wrongs us, or when we wronged God. It's like, the right is there, it seems to us, to be mad and to hold a grudge. But instead of doing what we could do, we let them off the hook. And that's what forgiveness is. And that's what Jesus did for us. And on the cross, through the resurrection, Jesus paid for all the forgiveness we would ever need, right? All the, all the forgiveness of the whole world, actually. Because uh, when I sin later today, that's not a plan. That's just a guess. Because I doubt a day has gone by that I haven't. Um, does Jesus get re-crucified so that I can get forgiven? No, right? That, that's silly. And Paul taught, exemplifies this several times that Jesus died once for all. Once for all. And so then when he died, this is a little time travel okay, to think about. But when he died, he paid for all the sins of the past previous to, you know, 30 AD or whatever year it was. He paid for all the sins of what was happening now, including Father, forgive those guys who were murdering me. And he paid for all the sins of the future, which included us. And it included all the sins we have at this point in our lives previously committed, are committing, and will commit, right? So all the forgiveness already happened. It was already done. It was completed on the cross. Did the cross work? Yes, it did, right? It was quite successful. And so all the forgiveness has happened. We've been forgiven. Um, but in order to get that forgiveness, we have to do a little something. And that this is where it gets important, and it's hard to understand. That's why the Bible talks about it quite a bit. I made up a new analogy that works for me. It might not work for you. We'll see. Let me know. Um, okay, so most of us are probably old enough to have a bank account, except maybe that guy. Um, I had one when I was your age. We should open a bank account for you. That's another thing. You'd have to hang on to money for more than, like, an hour. Um, he, he, he bought a bearded dragon. It was worth it. It was worth the money. So when you have a bunch of money in the bank, in order to get your money, you have to go there, fill out one of those slips, right, and say, here, here's my information. Give me my money, right? And I think forgiveness is kind of like that. I think in heaven we have a bank account. And all the forgiveness we would ever need was deposited at the resurrection. Because God knew us. He knew he was going to choose us and adopt us into his family. He knew that we would need forgiveness. And so right then, an account was made in our name. Just like we were written in the Lamb's Book of Life long before we were born. Because God's super smart and knows the future and all that kind of stuff, right? And so right then, our bank account was made. Now, we didn't need it, obviously, until we were born and started sinning. And as soon as we came to the Lord... It's like coming of age to be able to go and deal with your account yourself. Because if you open an account for a kid, the parent has to be there and that sort of thing, right? Like with a lot of stuff with parents and kids. 
And so, but eventually you come of age, and when we give our lives to Christ, that's like, all right, now this is, you have access now to this bank account, this is forgiveness account. And that first withdrawal is massive, right? Because we're withdrawing forgiveness for everything that we've ever done prior to that moment. But how do we get forgiveness then after that? It doesn't just happen. We have to confess, right? That's what the Bible says. Uh, it's 1 John, I think I have it written down here. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so that's a conditional, if we confess. So in my analogy, confession is like filling out that little withdrawal slip. Like, I'm going to confess. I did that. I am sorry. Please give me forgiveness. The forgiveness is already there, but we have to go through that process to get it. If you go up to the teller and like, hey, give me my money, they'll be like, what? And like start pressing a button. They'll be like, no, no, no. You have to, you have to fill out the form. That's how you do it. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to give you my information. Just give me my money. My money's here. Give me my money. Then they call the security, and it gets worse from there. Okay? It's your money, but you can't get it unless you do it the right way. Right? So we need to confess in order to get, in order to get forgiveness. And there are so that's one way that the forgiveness bank could be closed to us. Because if, if it's a Saturday night and you need several thousand dollars because somebody's like, you can buy my car, but you have to do it right now because I need the money or some sort of weird thing. Some weird reason why you'd need a whole bunch of cash, right? Um, some legal weird reason you'd need a whole bunch of cash. If it's 10 p.m. on a Saturday night, you can't get it. It's yours, but you can't access it because the bank is closed. And there's nothing you can do about that. And there, is, there are two things that can close the forgiveness bank. So that although the forgiveness was given to us by Jesus, we can't be forgiven. We can't access the forgiveness bank. And there's two things that do that. One is by not doing what we just talked about, confessing. So if we're unrepentant about our sin and refuse to fill out the slip, we don't get the forgiveness. And so if you're unrepentant about a sin, you remain unforgiven for that sin. Make sense? Because we have to confess, we have to repent in order to get forgiven. It's, it's, this is a hard concept because the forgiveness already happened. Like 2,000 years ago it happened, right? And it's already ours because it's in the bank, <laughs> but we don't have access to it. We can't get it and spend it and use it. And being unforgiven comes with consequences. Some of us can remember before we were Christians and the kind of consequences that existed when you weren't forgiven. And those things multiply the more unforgiveness you have in your life. That's why coming to Christ and being forgiven is such a wonderful thing. And a lot of those consequences are spiritual. A lot of them can be physical, material, more of those locusts, um, all that kind of stuff. And there's also no protection from the Lord. And so living unrepentant means you're living unforgiven for that, and that's not good for you. Okay, it's bad. The other thing that can close the forgiveness bank and make it so that we can't be forgiven and in this case, we can't be forgiven at all. And that's unforgiveness. If we are unforgiving towards other people, anyone, even one person, if we are unforgiving, we are not forgiven. If we don't forgive, the forgiveness bank is closed permanently until we forgive. And so we can't get forgiven for anything from that moment on. That sounds extreme. Right? Um, 
And I think Jesus knew it sounded extreme, and so he talked about it several times. <laughs> Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Um, Matthew 6, before we get to Matthew 18, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus did a lot of parables because he wanted us to really think through certain issues. But sometimes he was very clear because clarity was really important, and so he would just flat out say stuff. And those things are rare enough that when you see them, you're like, whoa, that sounded really straightforward. And here's one of those. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive others when they wrong you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. See the conditional again? If then. If you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now you could imply, is the opposite also true? And, but he just flat out says, but if you do not forgive others when they wrong you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I mean, he's talking to his followers here. So we're talking about people of Jesus, us. And he's saying, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Period. And I actually don't know that it's an unwilling to forgive. I think it might be forgiveness isn't possible. I'll, I'll do some more thinking on that. But there are certain things that just exist. And God is just letting us know, hey, here's how it is. Like God wove certain laws into the universe. Sowing and reaping is one of those laws. You know, other, other cultures have seen that law woven into the universe and called it different things like karma and whatnot, which is not a, an exact picture of what the law of sowing and reaping is, but it's, it's a close enough observation, right? And so God has woven these things into the universe. And forgiveness requiring forgiving others is another one of those things, I think. And so I think he's telling, Jesus is telling us, look, guys, I want you to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. But in order to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. Or it can't happen. It doesn't work. It can't. Yeah, it's it's a block. Right. 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 And there there's a I the only caveat I would throw in there is when we sin and are unrepentant and haven't gotten forgiven yet, we're still children of God. You know, we haven't, because someone could say, oh, gone on the other side of the divide, I'm back to being unsaved. And I know, I know you're not. I just want to be clear for everybody. That we're not saying, because there are people who say, if you die before you get a chance to confess your sin, you're going to hell. And that's not what the Bible says. Um, and so 
I, I like to think of it as relationship versus fellowship. Like relationship in the strictest sense, we are related to God. We're related to God because we're his kids. He adopted us. The relationship can never be broken and it can never change. God doesn't unadopt people, I believe. Okay? Now, can you divorce your parents when you get to a certain age? That, that's another topic. Okay? But God will never unadopt you. So the relationship can't be broken by sin because Jesus destroyed sin. We still do it, but the power's gone over our lives. But the fellowship we have with God, which is, I think, what you were talking about. That's how I would term it anyway. That fellowship we have with God does get interrupted by sin, right? And so um, in the old covenant, sin separated us from God, period. So there's a holiness issue. But through Jesus, sin no longer separates us from God relationally in the sense that we're always with him. Um, but it, does, it, it messes up fellowship. And we know that. That's just that's common sense. When you're lying in bed at night and you want to pray and the devil reminds you of all the bad stuff you've done and how dare you come and approach the Lord with your crappy mind and your bad attitude and how you yelled at this guy today or whatever it is. We all have hundreds of things the devil loves to remind us of, right? To keep us from drawing near to the Lord. That's always the goal, to keep us from drawing near to the Lord. And anytime you have a thought or emotion that is going to keep you from drawing near to the Lord, that is not God. Do the opposite. Always come closer to the Lord. That is always the answer. <laughs> closer to the Lord, more of God's presence in your life is always the best answer, no matter what. So on times when we are confused, default to that. Um, and so Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive others, my Heavenly Father won't forgive you. That forgiveness bank is closed. And it's sort of like what you were saying, too. It's a positional thing. And I've done this analogy before, but like here... I am properly positioned to feel the nice air conditioner on my head. If I go over here, if I choose, that's an act of will. That's a choice because I have free will. A lot of Christians believe in fate. And fate is not in the Bible. That's a Greek religious idea that got its way into Christianity. It turned into providence, which isn't really true either. And it turned it like there's, there's no such thing as fate. There's God's will and our choices. That's what there is in life. There's also occasionally chance. Sometimes things just happen. And in the Old Testament, there's an example of that. A guy shoots an arrow, and it says, and by chance, it hit the general, and he died. Or the king, the king. And by chance, it hit the king, and the battle was over. Just, it was a great shot. What are you going to say? So sometimes that happens. And obviously, other people make choices. Other people enact their wills upon us. And in the world, and you, you add all that stuff together, and it creates the kind of mess we live in. Um, but... It's, it's not a fate thing. It's a choice thing. So I can move out of the way of the air conditioner, and now I'm not in a position to receive that nice, cool air. God is still pouring that out, and I do very much feel that that is God, um, especially when I'm warm, right? So it's, for me, it's the best possible analogy. So, like, I, but I need to do this. I need to move myself back. And here's, this is where we get it wrong, folks. I get it wrong. We sit here and go, I'm not in the right spot. That's my problem. God, please move me back. And then we sit here and wait for God to move us back. We need to pick up our freaking feet and move back. That's what repentance is about. We come back to God. He never left. He was right where we left him the last time we got close. He's still there. Unless it's a very unique season of our life, he is still there. We need to go back. Sometimes we put too much on God, and we don't use our own free will enough. If our free will got us into that place, our free will has to get us out. 
And once we get back, we do it on our knees, right? In confession, in repentance, so that that brings us good healing. Does that make sense? We're kind of going all over the place here, but this is a ginormous topic, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a. That, that you're not alone in that verse being confusing for people. Very much not alone. Okay, so there's a few things going on there. One, if you remember back to when my brother and I preached outside about the kingdom of God, when it says kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the age to come, that's not talking about after we die and go somewhere. Most of the time, that's talking about now. We are in the kingdom of heaven now. We are in the kingdom of God now, okay? And so what that is saying is if we live unrepentant, of those things, if I'm like, I am, a, I am an unforgiving person, I'm a jealous person, I'm an angry person, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff on that list. Anybody who envies can't go to heaven? No one's there, folks, then. Seriously, it's empty. If all you had to do was envy once, and, and, and you don't get an image. So clearly that's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is, if you live unrepentant, the forgiveness bank is closed, and you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God now. Remember I said when we live unforgiven, it's bad for us, right? That's one of the ways, maybe the primary way even, that it is bad for us, is that we don't get to enter in to all the stuff that right now we have access to. Healing, forgiveness, joy, ministering to other people, peace, the favor of God on our lives. The kingdom of God has a lot of incredible things to offer that we can all be a part of. But if we are living in an unrepentant way or an unforgiving way towards other people, then we are, we, we're cut off from access to all those things. It's as if, um, as if we're abroad somewhere and so we do something that say, your passport's revoked. Your passport's revoked. All the rights of a US citizen are no longer yours. That would be super scary, especially if you're in a, in a country where, where that would be a bad thing. Um, until that gets restored, you're in trouble. And so th I think that's basically what it's talking about. Does that sort of make sense? And Paul's saying, look, don't be deceived. You can't just do whatever you want. The whole idea of cheap grace and, hey, I'm forgiven, so I'm just going to go out and sleep with everyone I see. And I'm just going to go and be super mad and mean and horrible to everyone because I, I, I like being mean to people. And I, I'll just say sorry and I'm good, right? Isn't, isn't that what grace means? And Paul's like, no. And he's running into folks who are doing this. They're doing orgies, folks. Okay, you know they're doing it because in Corinthians, Paul's like, and by the way, no, you cannot do orgies now, but you're Christians. <laughs> and you know what that meant? But most of that letter is a response to questions Paul was getting. Someone actually wrote down, so orgies? What do you think, Paul? 
we're forgiven. Love, love, love. Right? And Paul's like, oh, my goodness, people. No. No. And so that, that's one of those moments, I think, that verse. And this is John writing and not Paul. But he's writing about the same thing. That, like, this whole you can just do whatever the heck you want thing is not, that's not the kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom. That is the world. That is what people did before. Because even, even non-Christians will do terrible things and say sorry about it. That, that, that doesn't mean anything. It's not repentance. Exactly. It's not actually repentance. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so that's true. There's definitely earthly consequences to things. Um, and there's also discipline, the discipline of God. It says he disciplines everyone he loves. And he scourges those whom he calls sons. And scourging is a very, very serious form of discipline. That means whip you till you're nasty. Okay? I do that to everyone I call a son. The son is the inheritor, right? Which we all are. Because it says we are all joint heirs, inheritors with Jesus Christ. And so that means sometimes when we are not doing what we need to do, God is willing to say, look, daddy has to step in here and spank you good if you don't stop. For your own good, not punishment. It's not punishment. The punishment was done on the cross, okay? The punishment's over. God does not punish Christians, but he does discipline us. To the one receiving it, it might feel like the same thing. But it's not. It's actually really different. Discipline is redemptive, always redemptive. It's done to teach. It's done to train. It's done to you slap your kid's hand before they, they touch the hot stove so that they don't get burned. But if they keep doing it, eventually you're not going to see them, or you're just going to say, all right, burn your hand, and then you'll probably stop touching the stove. And that might seem horribly cruel, child endangerment, you know? But, and th that's what God will do with us sometimes. Like, mm, all right. Burn your hand, and hopefully then you'll be like, oh, you were right. I shouldn't touch that. But that doesn't mean that he won't restore the years that the locust has eaten. Remember, in that passage, Joel chapter 2, God sent those locusts. They were disciplined. Okay? They were disciplined for the whole nation. And he said, but if you repent and if you come back, I will give you all that back. All the stuff I took because you were so dumb. It's, it is. Right? Absolutely. If you're unrepentant, you're unforgiven and unrestored. And, and he'll even harden your hearts and discipline you more <laughs> if you let yourself go. And, and we're going to talk about that exact thing now. So um, Matthew 18, you know the parable. Steve already preached on it. Um, I'll just paraphrase it really quick. Um, so the king, the master, he is super rich. There's a guy who owes him tons and tons of money. And he's like, all right, dude, you got to pay up. And the guy's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. Nope, you're going to jail. He's, and he pleads, and he begs, and he's very humble. And seems to be repentant, right? And so the king has mercy on him, just as God does to us, who could never repay all the debt we owe, right? Has mercy on him and says, okay, you know what? I'm going to wipe out your whole debt. This is nuts, like magnanimity to the extreme, right? And the guy goes out. He's probably feeling awesome. And... He sees a buddy of his, and his buddy's like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing great. I just got all this debt wiped away. And by the way, the word forgiveness in Greek is literally monetary. It means to forgive debt, actual monetary debt. That's what it means. Um, 
And so he's like, I got all my debts cleared. It's like crazy. And the guy's like, wow, man, that's awesome. And then he's like, well, by, speaking of debts, don't you owe me like 50 bucks for that thing that was done? And the guy's like, oh, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'll get it to you when I can. No, no, no. I, need, I want the 50 bucks now. I'm going to go celebrate. I got to buy some booze and some nice food and celebrate. Give me the 50 bucks. And the guy's like, I, I don't have it. I, I just paid rent. I don't have it. Be patient with me. Give me a little bit of time, and I'll pay you back. And the guy said, pay me now. And he's like, I can't. Please, please, please. So he's begging just like that guy had begged. But he says, no. And he goes and gets the cops and has them put in prison, which you could do back then if people owed your money. And some would say it still happens. And the master, the king, hears about this, right? And he is furious, absolutely irate. And he brings the guy before him. And verse, uh, this is Matthew 18, verse 31. So what happened is when his fellow servants saw what took place, they were distressed, and they went and reported it to the master. So the other Christians saw this unforgiveness taking place and said, God, what, what is this about? This is not good. When the master summoned him, the master said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And that's what it all comes down to. We need to have mercy on others as God has had mercy on us. He had so much mercy on us. And he did it first before we were even born, before we even said yes. He had mercy on us and forgave us everything. And so we have to have mercy on others. And then comes the scariest passage in the entire Bible, by far, to me. And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers. Torturers. Okay? Some versions say jailers, which is true. But in those days, jailers tortured you. That was their job. And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. And so also will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, so for real, actually fully forgive, God the Father will hand you over to the torturers. And if you don't think that's a terrifying Bible passage, Either you're really awesome at forgiving other people so it doesn't bother you, <laughs> or, or something else is going on. We have to forgive, or we are handed over to the torturers. And I think that is probably another one of these things where if we live in a state of unforgiveness, we are tortured. That's what happens. I don't think it's saying God is going to send special angels to poke you with spikes, but, but his hand won't be there to keep the devil from coming in. And so part of this torturers thing is definitely spiritual. There's, there's demonic stuff at play, and God's like, look, there's, uh, I can't do anything about it. They have every right to be there because of unforgiveness. And you say, no, God, we're, again, we're back here saying, God, fix me, save me, deliver me, rescue me from all this horrible stuff. The devil's attacking me. Life, life stinks, and everything feels horrible, and I'm super depressed, or whatever it is. And God's like, I can't do anything. You tied my hands, okay? You need to forgive. And all that stuff goes away. Okay. Yep. Yep. Again, forgiveness, I would say just simply letting people off the hook. So I'm talking about in your own heart, you're not going to harbor anything against that person anymore. You're going to let them go to God. Um, when someone, 
when you need to forgive someone, they owe you something, okay? So you have an IOU. You owe me an apology. You owe me respect. You owe me love you never gave me. You owe me your presence you were never here. You, whatever it was, you owe me something. And so forgiveness is tearing up that IOU and saying, nope, we're good. It's fine. It's not saying you won't testify against that person in court. That's a totally different thing, okay? It's saying you in your heart, the two of you are done with what happened from your point of view. The other person might be repentant or might not be. That doesn't matter. And that's when it's hardest. When the other person isn't repentant, we still have to forgive them. Because Jesus forgave all of us. He forgave the people while he was being murdered. They were definitely unrepentant at the time. They were actively murdering him. Right? And he said, Father, forgive them. You know? So Jesus let them off the hook. <laughs> he could, there's a whole lot of things he could have done to those guys. And they would have deserved it, right? As do all of us, because we were the reason he was there in the first place. But he didn't. He let them off the hook. And so that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not saying, therefore, I'm not going to testify against you or tell the police what happened. That's not what it's saying. You can forgive and still do your civic duty to help other people, because that's protecting other people. If somebody did something terrible to you, that needs to be reported. And you absolutely need to do that. Um, it also doesn't mean you're going to be a doormat and let that person keep doing that, or other people keep doing that. No, no, no. You can stand up for yourself and forgive both. It's, it's also not saying what happened is okay. I've decided what happened was fine when that guy killed my dad. So, yeah, I'm okay with it now. It's fine. It's all good. No, it's not. It's horrible. But you can still let them off the hook in your own heart so that you don't harbor that against them anymore. And you know you've forgiven totally. You know you've done this from the heart thing. When you think about the person or what happened, and you don't have that little... You all know what I'm talking about. You think about it. Little whatever it is. I feel it here, physically. A lot of people do. That's why people talk about the wound on your heart. It's because you have that emotion, and for some reason, that emotion chemically just does something in this area of your body. But, like, you think about that thing, and it, for some people, it's their stomach. They feel it in the pit of their stomach. That wound, or that anger, or whatever it is. When that doesn't happen anymore consistently, then you're done forgiving. And you've done it. Well done. Good job. Good and faithful servant, not wicked servant. But that doesn't mean that in four years, it's not going to sort of come up again and hurt again, and you need to forgive again and deal with it again. And that's, that's something that I'm going to preach on in a couple weeks, because um, that's a thing that happens regularly that we need to do. Right. No, that is true. Um, forgiveness doesn't mean now you invite them over for dinner every week, right? No, 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 no. Um, now, forgiveness means you've let them off the hook personally, and so if they were like, I want to restore fellowship with you, and you feel like that's a good idea and a wise thing to do, then good. And if you don't want to, for another reason, like, I still kind of hate you, then you know, okay, I have, a, I have a little more forgiving to do. <laughs> I have a little more forgiving to do. Um, but yeah, you don't let yourself be a doormat, and you don't go... You don't go to them and say, by the way, I've forgiven you. Because that is passive-aggressive um, attack is what that is. Because when you tell them, by the way, I've forgiven you, you're telling them, by the way, you suck and needed to be forgiven, and I've done it, so I'm better than you. Just so you know. If you're doing that, you're not done forgiving yet. Because <laughs> you're still attacking them in a weird passive-aggressive way. Yeah, totally, totally. 
especially if the person is clearly repenting or wanting forgiveness, to let them know. Or I do it with my kids all the time as a matter of discipline. So, hey, you're forgiven. I love you, okay? You're forgiven. So I let them know that, and that's totally fine to do. And, you know, especially people that you're really close with, I think this is helpful. Kids, husbands and wives, that sort of stuff. Be like, hey, it's fine. You know, if you're in the middle of it talking about it, um, that sort of thing. I was talking about if someone is totally unrepentant or whatever or clueless, and you go up to them and be like, by the way, I forgive you, you know. This is a real story? Okay, okay. Yeah, well, thanks for that. So now you get to forgive them. Here's a big bag of crap. See ya. Absolutely. So here's what they missed, okay? This person made the Pharisee mistake. The Pharisee mistake is doing what you're pretty sure is right without love. Because anything you do without love is wrong, even if it's right. So she did the right thing without love, which made it wrong, okay? Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, all of them are adamant that love trumps everything. Love is the law. Love is the most important. What they did to you was not loving. They weren't thinking about you at all. They were thinking about themselves, wanting themselves to feel better or to finish the steps or to do whatever. And so it was selfish and not loving. And so it was wrong, even if it, even if it were the right thing to do, and I would argue it isn't, but even if it were. And, so, and that's what the Pharisees always did, right? They were like, shouldn't you tithe? Shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you do that? Jesus was like, yes, 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 but you're horrible, mean, unloving people. So that makes you a brood of vipers. The snake was a bad thing in that religion, right? <laughs> the whole tempter thing, the whole Garden of Eden, lost paradise. Um, and so that was a big diss. And Jesus was like, look, if, if you, doing the right thing without love is wrong. Always. The, the right thing for this other person to do would be to say nothing ever. Yeah. The, 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 the right, the right. Absolutely. They should have been like, hey, I forgive this person. See, forgiveness is about you and God. It's not really about you and the other person. Okay? Because what it is is I am choosing to hang on to this big cord that I've tied to this other person, and I'm not going to let go of it. The other person doesn't know that's happening. You and God deal with that. You cut the cord and you let it go. You're not actually letting them go. They don't know. It doesn't really relate to them. It's about you and God and about you letting other stuff go. Because when we hang on to those things, it's like an idolatry thing. 
it's because we're choosing ourselves. We're choosing our grudge. We're choosing our anger. We're choosing our past over his future and his present. Or, and that's when bitterness sets in. Bitterness tends to set in when we hang on to that grudge and we become unrepentant about, for, about being unforgiving about it. And I have every right to hang on to this grudge. This is my right. Just like the king had the right to throw the guy in jail. Okay, Every right. But you, we, we let that right down with forgiveness. Yeah. And we let it go. Yes, I, I, I think. If, if, it had, if it had affected Anne at all, then that could have been appropriate. But if yes. it didn't, then it's just, it's, it's just selfish, I think. Um, now, what, what could have, let's have another situation that's very similar, but you're talking about two friends, and they've sort of grown apart because of this thing that happened. Then I think this person, let's say I'm the one who is judging or being mean or whatever, and then I realize that's why I pulled away. I do all the forgiving I need to do. Then I might go to that person and say, you know, I want to apologize for the fact that we've grown apart a little bit. That was my fault. I, you, know, you, don't even, you don't have to give a lot of details. That was my fault because you're such a jerk all the time. And it's hard for me to deal with the fact that you're such a jerk. You know, no, you don't need to do that. You just say, and be, this, this, this relationship gap, this, this fellowship gap is because of me, and I'm sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. I really would like to work better with you, be closer to you, whatever. But you don't have, don't put anything on them. Forgiveness, I, I forgiveness is about letting go, not dumping. It's literally the opposite. Sure. That's, that's probably the toughest part about forgiveness is it's not your call. Your free will is to let them go, and it's hard. And sometimes you have to pull that root out of your heart, and it takes a lot of time, and it's really painful. But once you've given it, that's all you can do. They may never repent. They may curse you on their deathbed. And that's not you. That's not, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, um, if, you know, I, I, I don't think there's very many situations where, where it's necessary to bring it up to the person at all. Um, if the relationship is, like, really severed and difficult, um, there might be a place to, to, like, open up a conversation and start talking about things. But I think that's something that I would highly recommend you do in the council of, like, a couple good Christian friends and maybe a pastor or a mentor or something like that. Because when walking through those things is, is murky, there's no right or wrong answer specifically. It's a situational thing. Um, but most of the time, it's not necessary. Most of the time, forgiveness is us and God. The other person's not involved. And we let them go. And they might someday come back and repent. This is another thing that I, I, I'm still working through theologically. But I have seen it so many times that I think it's true. When we do finally fully forgive the other person, they are, they are far more likely to then realize what happened and repent. Not always. Not always. It, it, cutting that spiritual tie does something in the spirit that frees them up. And oftentimes, I, 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 like, I could list tons of ex experiences of this with me and other people. When we finally fully forgive, and the thing that was holding us back from forgiving is they're unrepentant. 
and or they're still doing it or whatever it is. But we finally, we were through all that and us and the Lord help to make sure it happens. We forgive. And then like a month later, they're like, so it just dawned on me that I've been so mean to you. Did you take that as mean? And then you can be honest. Don't lie. Don't lie and be like, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. No, no, no. That's, that's lying. Also a sin, right? So say, that was very hurtful. It really was. And it led to this, and it caused this. Now, I've forgiven you for that. But, yeah, it, I would like that uh, to not happen anymore. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that, that, that's, don't lie. That's, it's a weird Minnesota thing that we're like, oh, it's fine. It's like, no, it's not. You're dying inside. It's not fine. Okay? You're going to file a lawsuit if he does it again. It's not fine. Um, And so we, it's, it's like when you give someone else a prophetic word. Your job is just to be the mouthpiece and give them the word. It's not up to you. It has nothing to do with you, whether they receive it or not or follow it or not or like it or not, believe in it or not. You just give it, and that's it. That's, that's your job. And so with forgiveness, you forgive, and, it, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, and leave it in God's hands. It's, um, and it's great to pray for the person. I think that's another sign of the lack of the uh is one sign, and the other sign is that you can genuinely pray for the for God to bless the other person and mean it. And uh, if you've ever not yet forgiven someone and you start praying that God will bless the other person, like your mind instantly is like, stop that. You don't want them to be blessed. You want them to come under conviction and, and repentance, and you want a fire and brimstone to fall on them. You pretend it's religiously for their own good, but no, you just want to get back at them. But when you can pray for them and actually um, mean it, then that's, that's a good sign that you're in there. Um, great, great. Um, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? No, seven times seven, which is a Hebrew metaphor for infinite. It's a Hebrew metaphor for infinite. The, the total number of times that could ever happen that's how many times you have to forgive, which is a tough word. Now, that doesn't mean we let it keep happening. And it doesn't mean we stay in the same position so that it can keep happening. Okay? We forgive them, and, and, and it's smart to move out of the way. If somebody keeps punching you in the face, <laughs> you should forgive them, but you should probably move away from their fist. Yeah, right? right? Uh, you can turn the other cheek, but once you turn the other one, move. Yeah. Don't let them keep hitting you. And if they follow you, get someone to help you. Get a restraining order, whatever you need to do to keep that guy from punching you in the face, okay? Forgive him, though, but don't let it keep happening. So forgiveness isn't some weird, I'm going to be a doormat and everyone just use me and, and I am nothing and I don't matter. No, 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 none of that stuff is true. But those are all, these are all really good clarifying things. Are you going to be here in two weeks? Steve? You will? Can we, I, wa I want to talk, we're, we're over time already by a lot. So, but Steve's got a good testimony, and I want to, like, talk through that. So I'll finish this in two weeks if, you're, if you'll be here because um, this is a big topic. So think about this stuff. Um, think about whether or not there's something that maybe you need to forgive. Maybe, and this is common, you think you've forgiven someone for something, 
But the Spirit will reveal to you that you're not quite done with that yet because you still have the urn, right? Or you still fantasize about their downfall. Or, or, or you still fantasize about them getting their comeuppance. They'll get theirs. If you want them to get theirs, you haven't forgiven yet because Jesus didn't want the murderers to get theirs. He wanted the murderers to be let off scot-free. Is that fair? No, that's called the mercy of God. It isn't fair. And so if there's someone in our life that we're like, yes, I've forgiven them in the sense that I'm like not actively trying to kill them or anything, but it still hurts. Like there's more forgiving to be done and then healing can happen. The healing can't happen if the forgiving hasn't happened because healing, inner healing, is part of the kingdom of heaven, right? That's part of the kingdom to come. And we don't get the kingdom to come if we're unforgiving. And so some people are like, I've forgiven, but I'm not healed over it yet. And unless they're right in the middle of it still, that, that's not true. The healing comes with the forgiveness. It's a package deal. If we don't forgive, we can't get the healing. Does that make sense? So I encourage you this week, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything to you, and you might be surprised. That, like, usually he reveals this to people. Like, oh, maybe there's a little something about this. Or maybe I forgave it all 10 years ago, but then this other thing sort of triggered it, and now I kind of need to deal with it again. That, that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. That's called life, and we're going to talk about that in another week. That happens all the time. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you let us off scot-free, that you, in your mercy, paid all our debt. And we ask you that you would help us to forgive the debts of the people around us. It's hard to do. But we do not want to be the wicked servant who gets tossed to the torturers. And, Lord, it's really hard to do this when it's a habitual thing. It's really hard to do this when it happened over and over and over. Maybe it's still happening now. That's double tough. And it's really hard when it's something that is just freaking egregious, horrible, horrible stuff. Many of us have gone through horrible, horrible things, things that don't deserve to be forgiven, but neither did we. And so, Holy Spirit, we really need your help to forgive from the heart, especially in those kind of times. Because we need to. We need to forgive. It's better for us. Hanging on to the unforgiveness is like cherishing a whole bunch of poison inside your body. It's just going to eat you through. So, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us this week who we need to forgive. Let's just end with just a moment of reflection. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. Father, is there anybody that I need to forgive? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.